welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 143. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. It snowed here the other day, just a little bit, and it was really light and didn't amount to a whole lot, but it's the middle of October. It wasn't even the middle of October when that happened. This is not right, people. I mean, it's not like I live in Texas or Florida or something. Florida's got its own problems right now. You know, I live in the Midwest, and we get snow. But I don't live in, like, the extreme north Midwest, and we don't usually get snow. We might see a flake or two around Thanksgiving. Uh, There might be a snow event. I'm making air quotes here. You know, around the middle of December sometimes, but then it melts right away, typically. And maybe we'll get more measurable snow around Christmas or later. What's this not even mid-October snow crap. Mother Nature, if you're listening, first of all, donate to the Patreon. And secondly, stop with the snow already. Now that I got that off my chest, let's get on with the show. And how do we usually do that? With one of these. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mac Hughes. Mad Mac I sort of have a Mad Mike update by chance this week. I'm recording this on Sunday, the 14th of October, and I happened to flip on the TV this morning, that CBS morning show, just as they were starting a report on Mad Mike Hughes. First they started talking with, I don't know what her name was, but she was some, she was a flat earther, and they went through a whole list of scientific things, well-known, well-established things, uh, specifically like the space program, which she believes all the photos we see of astronauts doing astronaut things are faked. They're not floating in zero gravity. They're being uh, you know, held up by wires. The moon landing never happened. She doesn't really have a good explanation in this report as to why this, all this stuff would be faked, but she believes that it is. Then they talked to a, a researcher, uh, an author, who said, I think he's a college professor too, he said, you know, basically flat earthers and people like them, if you can't see it, it didn't happen. You can you look out your window, the Earth looks flat. Uh, so the Earth must be flat. Gravity's not really a thing. Dinosaurs and people lived at the same time. Because we weren't there, we don't know. And it's sort of part of this trend of people thinking, well, if I can't see it, if I can't recreate this scientific thing in my kitchen, it must not be real. And then, should have known, that was the segue to talk about Mad Mike Hughes. To his credit, Mad Mike said, well, yeah, I'm kind of a flat earther, but I want to get up there and see for myself. And if I get up there 62 miles in the air, he went up 1,800 feet in March, which everybody agrees really wasn't high enough to see much. So now his goal is to get 62 miles up. And, yeah, you know, he said, look, if I get up there and it looks like the earth looks like a big ball, I'll come back and I'll say, well, no, nope, you flat earthers are wrong. I saw it. It's round. Um, and then they showed his rocket, which is basically sitting in his front yard. They showed a little bit of footage from the, the first launch that he tried to do. And it, it was odd. Mad Mike said he was going to be on the CBS Morning Show, and I'll be darned. He was. So, you know, thanks for being honest about that. They did not say anything about his bid to become governor. So, you know, you wasted an opportunity to free ad there, Mad Mike. No new Facebook posts, interestingly, since last week. That's sort of strange. He does have his event 
still scheduled apparently for November 6th. Make a difference, waste the vote. Sorry for the slight pause. I had a text from my wife, and I can't really say to her, sorry, I'm not going to answer your text. It's showtime. And that would seem to be a good time to close the book on Mad Mike Hughes for this week. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Hughes Mad Mike Hughes What else is going on? Turns out, I think I announced last week, or at some point, the Emmett Otter soundtrack, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, classic Muppets holiday event, that at least two of us involved in this show, or listening to the show, are fans of, me and Sean, I'm sure others of you are as well. A while ago, they announced that the soundtrack for the series, for the episode, is coming out. It wasn't all that long ago that the you know, so-called original, uncut version of Emmett Otter became available. But now, not only we, we've learned that not only is the soundtrack coming out, but it's going to be available on vinyl, which is kind of cool for all you vinyl fans. So I like that. I may get the soundtrack. I don't know if I'll get it on vinyl or not. Although I'm intrigued. I think that might be kind of nice. What else? Google Plus is dead. Uh, you know, this just in. For those of you who don't know, I, I, I hate to break the news to you this way. Google has pulled the plug on Google Plus because basically it's been a joke since they launched it. Neither I personally nor the show have ever had a presence on Google Plus. Unless people are on there talking about it. I don't know. Another podcast I listen to when they do all the stuff at the end of the show, like podcasts, including this one, do where they list all the ways... You can contact the show. They mention their show, and they say, you know, while you're at it, tell us why you're on Google+. And that's kind of been the reaction for people over the, the time that Google+, Plus has been a theme, uh, been a thing. So now Google has said, yeah, we're kind of done with Google+. Plus. Google, of course, has had some other problems. They had a big billion-dollar fine in uh, Europe, you know, and other issues like that. So maybe they decided to focus on other things. So for those of you mourning the loss of Google+, Plus, I'm terribly sorry for your loss, you know, there's always Twitter and Facebook, and Mastodon is now a thing. I think I tried to set up an account on Mastodon. Mastodon, I've never really spent much time there, though. And there will be other things coming along in the future, I'm sure. What else? As I'm recording this, it's... Well, today is Doctor Who Day. Uh, the, a new episode, the second episode of Doctor Who will be on tonight. For you, as this episode comes out, the third episode will be on. Episode 1, with the new Doctor, a new woman Doctor was a huge rating success, apparently. Smashed the, the ratings for the previous premieres of New Doctors for the show, so that's encouraging. I thought it was a really good episode, and Jodie Whittaker was just a really good doctor. Not a really good woman doctor, just a really good doctor. You really, within a couple of seconds, you forget, oh, okay, well, it was a woman or a man. It's just that character, and that's what you want. So I'm feeling good. I'm looking forward to watching another episode tonight, and, you know, sci-fi life is good right now. And my dog just came over and sat on my lap. You can probably hear some of that rustling on the microphone. So I guess she's telling me, yeah, 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 this is all fine, but do not with the show. And now that her work is done, she's going to go chase the cat. All right, let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is Astro Blast from M Network, 1982. Suddenly I'm having all sorts of behind-the-scenes podcasting trouble. I have, as I turned on the recorder for the episode today, I developed a sniffle. Now I just took a sip of coffee and choked on it. You'd think I hadn't been doing this for 143 episodes. But I will try to muddle through. Now the cat and the dog are fighting. So you folks are getting a bonus show in the background. You're welcome. No extra charge. 
Maybe I should make that like a Patreon bonus of some sort. A whole episode devoted to the cat and the dog fighting. Bug, Sneezer is way older than you, but I am positive she could kick your ass. You may just want to stop now. Alright, so we're playing Astro Blast. Pretty straightforward game. I was anticipating, I think I mentioned this in the field report, I was anticipating when I heard about the game, which I'd never really played until now, getting ready for the show, it sounded to me like sort of a missile command type game. Missile command being one of my favorites, I was excited by that. What you get actually is pretty straightforward. You're operating a missile, a laser base at the bottom of the screen as things fall down at you and shoot at you and you have to shoot them before they get to the ground. We start with 10 laser defense bases, several things fall from the sky, rocks, spinning white bombs, smart guided missiles, and when your score goes over 20,000, UFO bombs. If your active laser is hit or a spinner lands, you lose that base. When you get a, you get another base whenever your peak score goes up to 1,000 points. As the score goes higher, more targets appear, falling faster. The game is interesting because you can use either the joystick or the paddle. I'm, there may have been others. I don't remember another game where the manual itself says, hey, you can use either one you want. Although they do have the caveat here that the paddle moves the base faster, and we recommend it for a better game. I took their advice. I went ahead with the paddle, although my paddles don't necessarily work all that well. Um, but I was satisfied with the gameplay well enough. The right difficulty switch set at B lets you play the game at regular skill level set at A. You're at the accelerated speed same pace and targets as if score were over 50,000 points. Left switch set at B, manual firing mode, A is automatic firing, note, switches can be changed during the game. I'm not a big fan of switching, uh, switching switches during games, especially this one. Even at the regular level, which I played for the field report, it goes really fast, uh, in my view. But, you know, so I don't want to be messing around with switches on the console while I'm trying to fight for my life! Start the game depressing the reset switch, obviously. Move your active laser base to get directly under a target. Then fire your laser, avoid being hit by any falling objects. All of that is obvious. The number at the lower right shows how many laser bases you have. You get a new base whenever your peak score reaches 1,000 points. If your score goes down, then rises, you don't get an extra base when you pass your, pass your old peak level. You must advance another 1,000 points to win a bonus base. Neener, neener, neener. When all bases are lost, the game ends and your peak score appears. Targets are, I think I mentioned this already, you get rocks. Why don't they just call them asteroids, right? This is a space thing. Just call it an asteroid. Small rocks give you twice as many points as big ones. Small rocks that land unhit cost you twice as many points. So that's the thing, right? Not only do you have to hit everything before it lands, if you don't, you lose points. Again, neener, neener, neener. If a spinner lands, it costs you one laser base. Spinners make audible alarm signals, and it's super annoying. Pulsars are guided missiles that try to home in on your base and change course as they fall. You don't lose points if pulsars land, but if you're if you can hit one, it has the value of a bit rock of eight bit rocks. Excuse me. Pulsars make a beeping sound as they attack. When you hear score hits goes over twenty thousand points, UFOs occasionally fly past, dropping bombs on your active base location. You get no points for hitting the bombs, but each UFO is hit. Each UFO hit is worth 10 large rocks. UFOs make a distinctive sound as they fly across. If you are hit, wait for explosion to stop, then press the button to continue. They have a whole chart here breaking down the scoring. Can everyone see in the back? Okay, good. Winning tips: Whenever you have a chance between big and small, a choice between big and small rocks, shoot at the small ones. Don't shoot rocks very close to you. 
the explosion can blow up your base. Remember, if any spinners land, you lose a base. Shoot at them as soon as they appear. Don't try to run away from pulsars and UFOs. Get directly underneath them fast, then shoot. And that is how you play Astro Blast. Like I said, pretty straightforward game. Probably didn't really even need to read all that, except for maybe the details on the scoring, if you're really curious about it. You really could just pick this thing up. I, I guess you would need to, all right, I just need the manual to tell you, use the uh, paddle or the joystick, because otherwise you might just assume it's a joystick game, and you plug it in, and you are all hostile and feel bad towards Atari because it's not working very well, not knowing that it's really preferable to play it as a paddle game. So I'm sorry for insulting you, Manuel. When I did my extremely superficial research on this game, I was amused to see that Wikipedia actually had a page for Astro Blast, but here's what it says. On the Astro Blast Wikipedia page, it says, Astro Blast may refer to, and it has a list, a version of Astro Smash, a 1981 video game, Astro Blast, exclamation point, a children's cartoon on the Sprout Network, a short clip by Alexandre Lehman from the episode Warship of the Adult Swim show Off the Air, a stomp rocket sold in the late 1970s, a differentiated neural stem cell which becomes an astrocyte, and then at the bottom it says, the disambiguation page lists articles associated with the title Astroblast. If an internal link led you here, you may wish to change it. Anyway. So Astro Smash is a video game for the Intellivision, designed by John Soule, released by Mattel Electronics in 1981, which used a laser can to destroy falling meteors, bombs, and other targets. Yep, that sounds really familiar. With more than one million copies sold, Astro Smash was among the top best-selling Intellivision games. A free-by-mail offer with the purchase of a Mattel component boosted Astro Smash sales figures. It also benefited from other promotion in the United States and Canada, including a high-score contest where top scores across the United States were flown to Houston, top scorers across the United States were flown to Houston for the finals. Astro Smash was originally conceived when a game called Meteor, an asteroid's clone, did not fill up the ROM space of an entire cartridge. The extra space was used to create a variation of the game called Avalanche, the Meteor. The, the Meteor game was canceled at the last, last minute due to concerns that it was too similar to asteroids. John Soule programmed a branch around the opening screen menu leading directly to the Avalanche variation, retitled Astro Smash. The games were compatible since they were designed together and used the same sprites and sound effects. In rare instances, if the console reset button is pressed rapidly, an error can occur, resulting in the game starting in the original Meteor format. Mattel re released the game for Atari 2600, renamed Astro Blast. It has faster play than the Intellivision original. No kidding. Astro Smash was described as an obvious attempt in Video Magazine to provide Intellivisionites with a solitaire arcade-style target game. The pacing of the early stages of Astro Smash were described as dull and plodding, although later in the game the pace becomes much more challenging. The large spinner sprite was also used to represent hurricanes in the Intellivision game Utopia. In several first-season episodes of The Flash, the character of Cisco Ramon wears an Astro Smash t-shirt. As for Astro Blast, they call Astro Blast a watered-down version of the Smash Hit and television game Astro Smash on Atari HQ. They compare it to Space Invaders, Galaxian, and Metamania. The graphics are an obvious downgrade from the stellar television version. The fast-paced and tighter controls, though, actually makes this version the more playable of the two. 8-Bit Central called Astro Blast a fun, frantic game. It contains a few quirks that separate it from the 
from other horizontal shooters trying to feed off of the asteroid's vibe. M-Network was actually a stealth arm of Mattel. Okay, maybe it wasn't that stealthy, but despite the console competition between 2600 and the television, the folks at Mattel created M-Network primarily to offer in television titles for play on the Atari 2600. I always felt, says 8-Bit Central, some of Mattel's similar games on the television were heavily borrowed from Atari, but still some had good appeal and Mattel capitalized on them by releasing them for the 2600. Astro Blast Story Arc. There is none. Shit's falling. Shoot or move. M-Network Astro Blast may initially seem like an atrocious game, but give it a little time and its quirks, fast pace, and paddle controller compatibility should soon win you over. The Intellivision had superior graphics, but this 2600 version offers such good gameplay, you may not care. A worthy addition to your collection. After the break, you heard the man. Stuff's falling. Move! I mean, please and thank you. Is it weird that when I think of the name Astro Blast, I think of the Humpty Dance? The Astro Blast is your chance to do some blasting. Yeah, it's probably weird. But you know what's my show? And even better, that idea is now in your heads. You're welcome. So when I heard about Astro Blast, I'd never played it before I got ready to play it for this show. Um, before I even started playing it, my expectation was a Missile Command type uh, type game. Uh, I really like Missile Command. Uh, it's one of my favorites. That's what I was picturing in my head. It's not that, of course. It's more like a, a souped-up uh, Space Invaders or maybe a Mega Mania where the ships, the invading ships, are coming at you vertically instead of horizontally. It's pretty intense, so let's try and play this thing. Alright, got the green at the bottom, which I guess is supposed to represent the uh, laser bases. Well, actually, I guess your little uh, thing that you're shooting with is supposed to be your laser base. I suppose the green at the bottom is just the ground, maybe the buildings and stuff. Um, Alright, let's go. I have the settings on B and B. Manual. The, you know, the manual, manual firing. I'm taking a pause here as I make sure I have this right. The right switch at B uh, is the regular skill level. A is accelerated. Let me make sure because this seems to move pretty fast. Yeah, it's on B. Alright. Wait, hold on. Yeah, it's on B. The left switch is also on B. The left switch on B is the manual firing mode. Yeah, regular skill level, manual firing mode. But it moves pretty fast. Alright, let's keep playing. Some asteroids, some big rocks, I guess they're calling it. Um, I'm not very good at this game, so this field report's gonna go really fast. Whoa! There's the uh, the whistling. What's it? I don't remember what they called it. Let's see. We've got the rocks, spinners, pulsers. And the UFOs. The pulsers are the guided missiles. Try to home in on your base. I guess that was the thing that was making the noise. Yeah, because the UFOs don't kick in until your score is over 20,000. Not much worry of that. 
got your basic multicolored rocks and whatnot, very reminiscent of asteroids. Um, very 70s, early 80s. Nothing wrong with that. You still get the idea. Yeah, that's probably enough for the field report. Well, wait, do I got another guy? Oh, I do. Well, that didn't last long. Wow. Do not ever put me in charge of your laser command. That's just a little message from me to you. Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's x-e-g-s, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. So here's the thing about After Blast. Even at the regular setting, this game moves really fast. And I like the game. It's really simple. Pick it up and play it. That's what you want, usually, from an Atari game. So no complaints there. If anything, it almost moves too fast. Although, I think if I play a little bit more, I'd get used to that. And I would actually appreciate it. Yeah. For 1982, I got no complaints. I would be curious to play Astro Smash on the uh, Intellivision, which I don't think I've ever done. If any of you have and can compare it to Astro Blast, let me know. Alright. Bug has settled in. She is ready to hear this week's story. As am I. This week's story is titled, It's All Over But the Shouting, and some more blasting. The moon was high and full. The light gave a luster of midday to objects below. Wait, sorry. That's the story of Twas the Night Before Christmas. The once and forever warrior was weary, his armor tarnished from battle and age. Not necessarily in that order. He exhaled raggedly as he sat across from me near the evacuation chamber. Cigarette, he said. At first I wasn't sure if it was an offer or a request. Either way, I held up a vape stick and a smirk stumbled forward through the stubble on the warrior's face. I said, smoking is bad for you. His one remaining good eye trained on me, and, and he chuckle-wheezed at my remark. Most things are, he said. Then he told me his story. He said, son, I've made a life out of defending wholesome plastics and knowing where fake turf is, protecting it from concrete guys. So if you don't mind me saying... You standing in one of those cement parking spaces is really kind of risky. Hand over your bourbon, and I'll give you some advice. So I handed him my bottle, and he drank down my last swallow. He looked at the bottle. Glass, he snorted, and tossed the thing away. Look, I asked, who the hell are you? And the night got deathly quiet, and his one eye got all dreamy. Not cloudy like the other. He said, son, I'm from the future, where plastic forms the foundation of society. Now I snorted. Still killing the environment, I said. The ancient warrior half rose, but was too weary to continue his show of indignance. Twenty-five years from now, concrete will be outlawed because scientists discovered standing on pavement causes impotence. He looked me up and down. Hope you're not planning a family. Anyway, government policy opening up national parks will coincide with increased privatization of grasslands to the point that 
eventually only the very wealthy can own and stand on actual dirt and grass. Right, I said. It will happen, the soldier said. He sniffed the air. Synthetic ground cover. That's the future. Plastic dinnerware, furniture, vehicles, and fake grass beneath all of our feet. The great democratization of our society. Thanks to artificials, our society, in my time, is more cohesive, more organized, and not just because we put everything in plastic totes. And preeminent among them, the one thing that will rise to shelter, accessorize, and clothe us all, AstroTurf brand synthetic floor covering. Wait, I said. After decades of warning about clogging the world's environment with synthetics, you're telling me they make the future better? A utopia? The stranger's face darkened. I'm just a soldier. This is impossible, I objected. Plastic is horrible. Fake is fake. Except news. Organic is the future. The time-traveling soldier shook his head. The future isn't what you think it is. Up is down. Literally. For me, looking you in the eye means walking on the ceiling and hanging upside down. Takes a lot of practice. He winced. Really makes the calves clench up. So why are you here? In the past, I asked. In the future... There are forces aligned against plastic and other synthetics. Imagine that, I said. The trailer smirked again and went on. In your time, most professional football fields are synthetic turf. Over time, the popularity of this ground cover will spread to other sports, then private homes and businesses as an alternative to that annoying, dirty grass. I see, I said. No, the warrior said, you don't. Over time, AstroTurf and other artificial turf companies start to expand into not just ground covering, but also the buildings on the ground. We have whole plastic towns now. Lego building blocks tried to get in on the action, but the Lego toilets leaked too much. Ew. In the future, AstroTurf is even developing new terraforming techniques. Whole planets, whole plastic continents, a world of indestructible materials. Think of the possibilities. Oh, I am, I said. The trailer ignored me. But then he said, But then the environmentalists declared war on the purveyors of synthetics. Good for them. The time-traveling warrior glowered. You 21st century people. You think you know everything. Yeah, I'll tell you what happened. They traced the rise of the, of the synthetic corporations like AstroTurf to this era in time. The environmentalists sent warriors back to stop AstroTurf from even becoming what it would become. And you? You fought too? The warrior nodded. The fighting was quick, but brutal. Laser defense bases fell and were just as quickly replaced by more. They threw every weapon our future has at AstroTurf. Rocks, spinning white bombs, smart guided missiles. They even deployed the UFO bombs. What are those? You don't want to know what those are. Point is, lots of people died. The Enviros blasted the turf lovers' defenses. The Astros blasted plenty of Enviros, too. AstroTurf defenders held on for a while, but the Enviros were relentless and merciless. AstroTurf couldn't survive. It was a total astroblast. I'm so sorry those pesky environmentalists inconvenienced you, I said. I wanted to get out of there. I was tired of listening to this guy, but something compelled me to stay. The warrior stood then with great effort. Time ripples are complex. No one will remember this. AstroTurf will rebuild. You must be so proud. Wincing the whole way, the warrior hobbled over to me. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Wait, I said, you're an environmentalist warrior? 
The warrior shrugged and almost smiled. Then he hobbled back the way he came. And in those final words, I found a phrase about concrete. You got to know when to pour it. Know when to plastic mold it, even if you have no idea how they make AstroTurf brand synthetic turf. Know when to throw it away. Know when to rerun. You never count your pennies while you're sitting at a company planning table without considering how Earth's future will be undone. For those wondering, artificial turf, of which AstroTurf is one brand, is a surfacing material used to imitate grass. It is generally used in areas where grass cannot grow or in areas where grass maintenance is impossible or undesired. It's used at this point mainly in sports stadiums and arenas, but can also be found in playgrounds and other spaces. It was originally produced by Chemstrand Company, later renamed Monsanto, using a manufacturing process similar to those used in the carpet industry. Since the 60s, the product has been improved through new designs and better materials. The newest synthetic turf produced has been chemically treated to be resistant to ultraviolet rays, and the material have been improved to be more wear-resistant, less abrasive, and for some applications, more similar to natural grass. In the early 70s, it came under scrutiny due to safety and quality concern. Some installations, often those done by the number of companies that sprang up to cash in on the trend, began to deteriorate. The turf, turf would wear too quickly, seem to come apart, and the top layer would degrade from exposure to sunlight. Athletes and team doctors began to complain about the artificial surfaces and blamed the turf for friction, burns, and blisters. Natural turf yields to the force of a blow, but an arm or leg driven along the underlying unyielding surface of artificial turf is more likely to be injured. In the 90s, biological turf began to make a comeback when a marketing of nostalgia in professional sports resulted in the re-emergence of the outdoor stadiums. Almost anything used as a carpet backing has been used for the backing material from the from jute to plastic to polyester. High-quality artificial turf uses polyester tire cord for the backing. The blades of grass are made of nylon or polypropylene and can be manufactured in different ways. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Thanks to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes jingle. You can find show notes at ataribytes.libson.com. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also check out my occasional weirdness on the Atari Bytes Instagram page. Please consider supporting the show financially on our Patreon Atari Bytes page. And if you have time, check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. A monthly deep dive into all things Peanuts. Snoopy, Charlie Brown, TV, comic strips, movies, merchandise, the mind of Charles Schultz himself. We do it all over there at It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. Next time on Atari Bytes. It's Halloween, almost. So we're getting our spook on with Ghost Manor. Ooh, spooky. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,
Oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh, oh,